0: Um, that we're starting this week, which I'm very excited about. Um, we're calling it help from heaven. And, um, I want to take the time to cover the nine types of prayer that move God's hand. And that's very important. I feel like I said this today. I feel like people don't even understand that there are different types of prayer. In fact, I remember brother Hagan telling a story one time and, um, He said when he pastored a church, he wanted to kind of do a a poll with his people. Um, He said, you know, of course, back then, they used to end almost every service by gathering around the altar and spending time in prayer. And I remember him telling this story about how he came down off of the platform while all his people were around the altar. And uh, he just had them praying, but he'd walk among the crowd and he'd stop people. And he'd say, hey, I just wanted to know, what are you praying for? What are you praying about? And he said, people would be like bewildered when he'd ask that question. Like they'd look at him like he was like, they didn't understand what he was even asking. And, and uh, they'd say, what do you mean? And he's no, what are, you, what are you praying for? What are you praying about? And they'd say, I, I don't know, I'm just praying. I'm just praying. He said he got that answer so, so many times. I don't know, pastor, I'm, I'm just praying. I'm just praying. And he said it was baffling to him that they didn't know what they were praying about or how they were praying. That opened his eyes. You know, He, he thought people understood more than that, but he said they didn't even understand what they were praying for or what they were praying about. And one of the, um, one of the points that he made from that was, how can you even know if your prayers are answered if you don't even know what you're praying about, or if you don't know what you're praying for, how can you even know if your prayers are answered? And by the way, thank you for those that are sharing this. I'm going to be covering all these nine types of prayer this week. So if you would help me, um, I don't want to necessarily pause to go back and forth. What was number one? What was number four? If you can, if you can put the scriptures and the points in the comments for me on Facebook and YouTube, I would greatly appreciate it uh, to help those that are watching. Maybe they get on late, but. He was amazed that people didn't know what they were praying for or what they were praying about, and he even said, "He said, you know, I understand that some prayer is just fellowship with God." He said, "But they didn't even know if they were doing that. They didn't even know if they were fellowshiping, fellowshiping with God." So he said, he he, he started to realize that uh, people need to be taught about prayer and taught about the different types of Bible prayer. There's biblical prayer. That's what I'm covering this week. There are nine specific types of biblical prayer that move God's hand on your behalf. But then there's other prayer that people pray that's not based on God's word that God doesn't answer those types of prayers, doesn't move his hand, doesn't cause supernatural things to happen. It's truly just a waste of your time. And that's why I wanted to take time to cover this this week, because uh, it's time for us all to go to the next level in our prayer lives. You know, the Lord's been really speaking to me about that recently, that it's time for all of us to go to the next level in our personal prayer lives. And, uh, And so this is important to understand, how are we praying? What are we praying? Is what we're praying biblical? Can God even answer the prayers that we're praying? It's not, hear this, it's not that he doesn't hear our prayers. There's no Christian that can pray that God does not hear their prayers. Morning, Brother Glenn. There's no Christian that can pray that God does not hear their prayers. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12, the Bible says that God's eyes are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. So there's no righteous person that God does not hear their prayers. There's never a time where you say, I just feel like the heavens are brass. I feel like my prayer. No, there's never a time when the heavens are brass. There's never a time when your prayers are bouncing back at you from heaven. Heaven's closed to you. That's There's never a time. God, his eyes are on you and his ears are open to your prayers. That's an encouraging thought. And the Bible's clear about it. But I do want to say that just because someone's praying, God may hear it, but there are some prayers God cannot answer because they don't either line up with his word or they're simply not based upon his word. God is watching over his word to perform it. That's Jeremiah chapter one. I believe it's verse 12. God is watching over his word to perform it. And so we're going to take this week and I'm going to have two theme Verses or texts that we're going to use for the entire week that I'll give you in just a moment. But I also want to want to give you this for those of you that are watching. Maybe you're watching the replay. We took time to do an entire course in Miracle Word University called Answered Prayer. Answered Prayer. And for those of you that are joining me for this series that we're starting this week, I'm going to do something. If you've never had uh, the opportunity to get into that uh course that's, I think it's about six hours worth of teaching on prayer. I'm going to give you a discount code to use in Miracle Word University. I'm going to give you $10 off of that course. That's about 15% off. Um, when you go to that, and we'll put the link in the comments, but when you go to MiracleWordU.com, MiracleWordU, the letter U, .com, and you go to the Answered Prayer course, when you're checking out, if you just use the code PRAYER10, prayer and the number 10, when you're checking out, you'll get $10 off that course. I think it takes it down to $59. And, uh, it's like six hours or so of teaching on the subject of prayer. We cover what is prayer? Why should we pray? The different types of prayers, benefits of praying 12 keys that bring answers to your prayers Three Prayers God Doesn't Hear, The Biblical Order of Prayer, Fasting and Prayer. There's a lot of subjects we cover in that course that we won't be covering this week, but if you'd like to go get it, go to MiracleWordU.com and when you're checking out with answered prayer, use the code PRAYER10 and you'll get $10 off of that course. So I want to give you these two theme verses that we're going to use for the entire week and then we're going to break down these nine types of prayer. The first one is Is found in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. I remember when I was in Bible school, uh, Brother Hagin did an entire year on prayer. He taught us on prayer, and he came in with one verse, used the one verse for the whole year. And you thought, you know, you thought it wouldn't be enough to teach an entire year of prayer. He went the whole year and taught just using this verse I'm getting ready to read to you right now the Gospel of John, chapter 15. And uh, verse number seven, this was the theme verse for our entire year of prayer. And this is what it says, I'm reading from the ESV. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That's John 15:7. i I'll uh, put verse eight in as well. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. So there it is. If you abide in me, and here's an important part, and my words abide in you, you can ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. It will be done for you. So there it is. Uh, It's very key that you, of course, all of us that are Christians are abiding in Christ. But notice the second prerequisite, and my words abide in you. So you've got to be filled with his words. You've got to be filled with the word of God. God's watching over his word to perform it. So that's our first text. The second one is James five sixteen, James chapter 5 and verse 16. The Bible says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer... Of a righteous person has great power as it's working. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. That's very, very important. It has great power as it's working. I want you to put it in the comments, write it in your notes. My prayer carries power. It's not just us saying things. It's not just us mentioning things, right? It's it's not just about, um, you know, a duty like other religions. They have a duty of prayer to speak to their God who never was a God, never was alive. And they feel this duty to just, you know, have these ritual prayers. That's not us. When we pray, we have a living God who hears every prayer we pray and our prayer carries power. Hallelujah. Your prayer carries power. Don't ever think, my prayers aren't powerful. My, my prayers, nothing nothing changes when I pray. Nothing changes when I pray. That's not the truth. That is not the truth. When you pray, your prayers are not only heard, but they carry power. And so today I'm going to cover with you the very first type of Of prayer. So, thank you to everybody that's sharing this broadcast today. I appreciate it. Needs to get out. Helps more people to find the broadcast. Helps YouTube algorithm share it to more people. More people will see it. I'm blown away by how many people we come across that are in such need of help, such need of prayer, and You've got preachers that preach that this stuff doesn't work anymore. God's not working miracles anymore. He doesn't do these things. The gifts of the Spirit aren't aren't in operation. You can't expect the supernatural like they did in the New Testament. And people need help. And you've got preachers telling people that this stuff doesn't work anymore. This stuff doesn't operate anymore. That's a lie from the pit of hell. God does not change. His power does not change. His, His creative ability does not change. And so it's time that we pray again like we've never prayed, press in to the power of God and watch as things begin to change. Prayer doesn't just change us personally, it changes things around the world. That's why God told us to pray. In fact, did you ever think of this? I've said it on the broadcast multiple times. The disciples spent those full three and a half years with Jesus at his side. Saw every one of his miracles, saw all of his sermons, experienced everything that he did, and after all of that, all that they saw him do behind the scenes of his life, the only thing we have on record that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them was, Lord, teach us to pray. I've always found that to be amazing. I've always found that amazing, that the only thing they asked him to teach them, Lord, teach us To pray, that means that they saw and understood that what was happening in Jesus' life and ministry was a result of his prayer, of his time in prayer. Jesus, the Bible says, spent time early before the dawn praying. He'd rise early before the dawn and begin to pray. I've heard some preachers call that God's radio hour when God is speaking before the dawn. And then there were other times. Like in the Gospel of Luke chapter 6, Jesus would go out and pray through the entire night. Pray through the whole night. So he was spending lots of time in prayer. You say, well, why is that? Why would he rise early before the dawn? Why would he pray all, the, all through the night? The reason is because Jesus understood as soon as people are up, look at the stories. As soon as people are awake, they're pursuing him to hear him speak and to get a miracle and to touch him. He'd literally have to go out into the wilderness and they'd, thousands of people would follow him out into the wilderness. They needed a touch. And you can't continue to pour out to people if you don't have the substance from which to pour out. And that's, that's what Jesus needed time in prayer. I have to hear what the Father's saying. I've got to see what the Father's doing. I can only say that. I can only do that. And so Jesus understood the power of prayer and the disciples saw his ministry and all that's happening in it is a result of the prayer that he's releasing unto his Father. So prayer carries power. Do you know? Um, that uh, there was a man named E. M. Bounds, he was a Methodist minister, wrote 12 books in his life, nine of them were on the subject of prayer, who coined the famous phrase that you've probably heard: "Much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer. No power. So the power that's released from your life is directly connected to the prayer that you pray. I'm going to say that again so that you get it in your heart. The power that's released from your life is directly connected to the prayer that comes out of your mouth. When the disciples could not cast a demon out of a boy in the New Testament, Mark chapter 9, And they were confused as to why they couldn't cast the demon out. They asked Jesus about it. Why couldn't we cast this demon out? What was Jesus' response? This kind of demon does not come out except by prayer. Except by prayer. Later manuscripts add, and fasting. But in the earliest manuscripts we have, all Jesus said was, this kind of demon does not come out except by prayer. What he was telling them was, you've not been praying sufficiently. You've not been praying sufficiently. And as a result of that, you didn't, you weren't able to release the proper power to cast that kind of demon out. Jesus did it without sweat, did it without a problem. The demon came right out of the boy. But the disciples couldn't do it. What was the difference? People would say, well, you know, he was the son of God. They weren't. No, that's not what Jesus said. He had already given them authority. He had already given them power and he had spoken to them to do his works. So they should have been. That's why he was able to rebuke them. You can't rebuke people for doing something, for not being able to do something that they can't do. You can't do that. That would have been unjust. For Jesus to rebuke his disciples for not being able to cast the demon out, you faithless generation, how long will I have to be with you? If he rebuked them, it's like, Lord, we couldn't do it anyway. We're not you. We're not the son of God. We're not the Messiah. But no, he rebuked them because they should have been able to do what he authorized them to do, gave them the authority to do. But they couldn't because they were slacking in what area? Their dedication, their devotion life. The prayer you release is what causes the power you're able to release. Your prayers carry power. No question about it. And so we're going to cover these nine today. I'm going to focus specifically on one of these, which I do want to cover and take the time to cover in depth. And that is spirit prayer. Prayer in the Holy Ghost. And by the way, if you want to join me back here once again all week, uh, we're jumping on at 12 noon for noon prayer. And we're going to take those 30 minutes to pray today. And so if you jump on with me after this broadcast, we're coming back at noon to pray for half an hour. And then I encourage you to take another half hour somewhere throughout your day and pray. But today I'm covering, this is the first type of prayer I'm covering, spirit prayer. Spirit prayer. What is that? Praying in tongues, praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in the Holy Ghost. You know, I'm blown away that there's people who will teach you praying in tongues is no longer for today. That's not, that's not for today. There's no scripture they can use to back up that thought. There's nowhere in the Bible that uh, tells us that somewhere in the New Testament church tongues faded out or somewhere in the 2nd century or 3rd century praying in tongues faded out. There's no scripture that will back that up. They'll use one passage that says tongues will cease. Well, yes, in heaven... Tongues will cease. They'll no longer be necessary. But there's nowhere that teaches that the operation of the Holy Spirit ceases on the earth before we get to heaven. It doesn't cease. The power of God doesn't cease. And uh, there are others that will try to teach you that, you um, you know, even in the New Testament, when they prayed in tongues, they were really just speaking foreign languages. That's also not true. You can see it from Scripture. I'll show it to you today. Uh, When people say, well, you know, if you've ever heard that, you can raise a hand in the comments if you've heard people say, well, true speaking in tongues in the Bible, they were speaking foreign languages. I'm going to show you today that that's not true. They were speaking a heavenly language, a heavenly language. Let's begin in Acts chapter 2, where we see people speaking in tongues for the very first time. Acts chapter 2 is the very first time when God poured his spirit out on the day of Pentecost and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues and prophesy. Let's look at what the Bible says. Acts chapter two, starting in verse one, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay, now let's look at this. As the Spirit gave them utterance, they were doing what? Speaking in other tongues. There's a Greek word there, Uh, Glosso Which is where we get that word Glossolalia Which Literally just means Languages Languages That's what it means That's the Greek interpretation Of the word Languages. So Says they were speaking In other languages But I want you to see this now Uh, The Bible says Watch how it's supernatural And why we can see From reading the narrative That they weren't just speaking foreign languages. Verse 5, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each, now listen to this, listen to the wording here, because each one, who's each one? Each Jew who came into Jerusalem for the Pentecost celebration from every nation under heaven, all these foreigners, each one of who? These foreigners was hearing them, that's the group, was hearing them speak in his own language. Many people have never seen this before ever, but I'm showing it to you now so you can understand the supernatural uh, manifestation that took place on the day of Pentecost. Each foreigner heard the whole group of believers speak his language. So that means, if you had a Jew from Russia, for example, and I'm using modern day nations, if you, used, if you had a Jew from Russia, they were standing there in Jerusalem, they heard all 120 believers speaking Russian. If they were from China, they heard all 120 believers speaking Mandarin or Cantonese. If you had somebody who was from, uh, for example, Argentina, they heard all 120 believers speaking Spanish. You understand the point I'm making is it doesn't say they heard them speaking all these different languages. It says each foreigner heard the whole group speaking his language. And there were thousands there in the, in the city, uh, for the day of uh, the Pentecost celebration. So there were there were all these foreigners, and they didn't hear them saying, "Oh well, I hear them speaking like twelve different languages." No, each one, as a miraculous event, heard the whole group speaking his language. That's what the Bible says. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, "Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? That we all hear each of us." in our own native language. Each person heard everyone speaking his native language. But watch, that's not all, that's not all. Verse 13, I'll jump down to that. But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. They're drunk, they're drunk. That's what others who were standing around said. So notice there were large groups of foreigners saying, I hear the whole group speaking my language. However, there was another group of people who were mocking them saying, no, no, they're drunk. They're drunk. What in the the world would make these other people think that the disciples were drunk? I don't know if you've ever been drunk. I never have, to be honest with you. But if you have, I've seen drunk people. I understand how drunk people act. I've watched drunk people interact. I've spoken to drunk people. When you get drunk, it does not supernaturally give you the ability to speak a foreign language. I mean, I know you know that. If you get drunk, it does not give you the ability to speak a foreign language. So this other group who was mocking them must have heard something coming out of their mouths that made them think they're drunk. Could it be, could it be that that group, instead of hearing his native language, that group heard them speaking the heavenly language, what we would call tongues, what others call gibberish? Could it be that the other group heard the 120 speaking in a heavenly language and thought they're babbling, that's gibberish, they're drunk? Because I've never seen a drunk person get drunk and then just automatically start speaking Cantonese or Mandarin or Russian. It doesn't work like that. So it seems as though from the narrative that we're reading that there's a group of people here as they heard the 120, they're saying, I don't know what you all are talking about. These people are drunk. There was something about it that made them think that it's not just like they were mocking for no reason. That's what they heard something different. But we don't have to base our understanding of speaking in tongues solely on Acts chapter two. You know why we don't? And this is a narrative story. You could read another narrative story in Acts chapter 10 of Cornelius' household. You could speak and read another one in Acts 19 about the 12 men in Ephesus and all that. So you could, you could absolutely do that. No question about it, but We don't have to base our understanding solely on narrative. You know why? Because we have apostolic teaching on the subject of speaking in tongues. Paul taught the Corinthian church about speaking in tongues. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14. This is one of the nine types of prayer that moves the hand of God. That we're talking about help from heaven that's what we're teaching this week this is one of the nine types of prayer that moves the hands of God speaking in tongues because let's now look I'll give you a bible interpretation tip when you're interpreting scripture when you're studying the bible here's a tip for you if you've never seen this in hermeneutics and by the way we're getting ready to reopen our course bible study made simple Here in the fall, we're we're finishing up um, our our course on supercharging your devotions, and we're getting ready to to launch into a brand new course uh, in the fall about how to properly understand what we believe as Christians and have a solid understanding of Bible doctrine. Uh, So you can obviously call out false teaching. You'll know immediately how to identify false teaching You'll know immediately how to weed out what is right and truthful from what is false and wicked. Many people don't know how to do that. But in this brand new series we're launching in Bible Study Made Simple, I'm going to teach you how to read the Bible and identify what we truly believe as Christians. And so if you can put that slide up just to let everybody see, uh, it's coming up. Uh, October the 11th through the 18th, the course will be open again. This is Bible study made simple, where we're teaching you how to properly study the scripture. And if you want to join the wait list, you can go to bible.miracleword.com and jump in because we're reopening it. We only open it uh, about what, twice a year? We only open it twice a year. So here's the the fall opening for this brand new series. You're going to want to get in on that. But Paul teaches very specifically about speaking in tongues very specifically and in first corinthians 14 it's important to know and i was going to give you this bible study tip the bible study tip i was going to show you is if you have narrative about a subject like we do in the book of acts and you have apostolic teaching about the same subject what some would call didactic teaching it's teaching specifically about that subject, you always, always will prefer the, the specific teaching about a subject over the narrative, describing the subject to get the truth of what you believe always, you will always choose the teaching. You prefer that over the narrative rather than building your doctrine on the narrative, rather than the teaching, you do the opposite. You build what you believe on the teaching rather than just the narrative. Because you could read the story about something and everybody could come up with their own interpretation of what they think the story means. But when you have pure apostolic teaching on a subject, you don't have to guess anymore because the, the Holy Spirit who inspired the apostles writing is telling you specifically what to believe about a subject. And here it's about speaking in tongues. Paul is teaching by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit about speaking in tongues. Now, it's important to know he's teaching from the perspective of what do we do in a church service setting? What do we do in a church service setting? What was the problem they were facing? Apparently, they had tons of chaos going on in their church services. It was pure chaos. Now they had the gifts of the Spirit in operation. Paul was clear about that. They had plenty of prophecy, plenty of tongues, all those different things. But it was chaos because there was disorder and tons of people were jumping up at the same time, trying to give a word in tongues. And there was so much going on that those who were coming to receive teaching and even unbelievers that were present were not receiving what they needed because of the disorder and the chaos. So Paul just lays some ground rules for the believers in Corinth and says, listen, at the beginning of the letter, I'm happy that you excel in all speech and wisdom and and the gifts and you don't come behind or lack any gift as you wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can read that in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 6 through 8. I'm happy, you know, that, that you don't lack any utterance or knowledge or any gift. You don't come behind in any gift. As you wait for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then in verse chapter 14, he starts to lay some ground rules. And he says, listen, uh, when people come together for, uh, you know, church services, I would rather come in and speak a few words in English or not, not English, but in in my known language for us, it would be English. I, I would rather come in and speak a few words in my known language than I would thousands of words in tongues in what in a church service why so that everybody can be edified and taught and grow and receive strength and knowledge and wisdom right but he's not he's not putting some kind of a a, a damper on speaking in tongues cuz later in the same chapter he says now listen i speak in tongues more than all of you and i wish that all of you would speak in tongues and even more that you would prophesy so it's not like paul was saying that speaking in tongues is not important. On the contrary, he's saying it's so important that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Here's a question. Who was he saying that to? He was saying it to a church that had more gifts of the Spirit in operation than any other church in the New Testament, any other church. You said you excel in these gifts. You excel in them. They had gifts, but they had no maturity. They had no order. It was pure chaos. So it's not like he was putting a um, a damper on the moving of the spirit or the speaking in tongues. He said, "No, I do it more than all of you, and you guys excel in utterance. But I do it still more than you, and I wish that all of you would speak in tongues, and even more that you'd prophesy." So, and he's the same apostle who wrote, "Don't forbid speaking in tongues. Don't despise prophecies." So no one can make the argument that the Apostle Paul was trying to cut out speaking in tongues. No, he was bringing order to church services. He was bringing order where there was chaos. But notice what he teaches in the beginning of the chapter. 1 Corinthians 14, he says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Again, remember this is in a public church setting look why verse two for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men this is so important that you get this today speaks not to men but to who but to God for no one understands him huh he utters mysteries in the spirit now let me stop there I want to stop there to show you something that maybe you've never seen before. That means we have to interpret narrative passage, passages of the Bible by teaching passages of the Bible. You don't interpret what Paul's teaching here by what you read in Acts. You interpret what you read in Acts by what Paul's teaching here. That's how all Bible principle, uh, interpretation principle works. You always define narrative by teaching. You don't define teaching by narrative. Acts is a narrative. It's a historical narrative. This letter is a teaching. So we have to go back then to the day of Pentecost and say, okay, what was happening? Were they just speaking in normal languages and known languages? No. Paul said speaking in tongues is not that. He just specifically said that. One who speaks in a tongue does not speak unto men, but speaks unto God. For no one understands him. No one does. He utters mysteries in the spirit. Let me give you some teaching here. Russian is not mysteries in the spirit. Spanish is not mysteries in the spirit. Cantonese is not mysteries in the spirit. So what could have happened on the day of Pentecost? My personal belief is that on the day of Pentecost, God did the interpretation for the believers. God did it. It was a miracle to allow the foreigners to hear a heavenly language interpreted into their own language. Because they said, notice what they said. We, each one of us, hears all of them speaking our native language. But Paul says, speaking in tongues is not speaking a known language. You're not speaking unto men. You're speaking unto God. No man understands him. That's why he's correcting them here. He said, don't stand up and speak in tongues all the time in your church services because there's people there, they don't understand what you're saying and so they're not edified. That's clear teaching on speaking in tongues. Look at verse 4. I'll read verse 3. On the other hand, one who prophesies, why? Because prophecy is your known language. One who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Now look at verse four. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself or edifies himself. But the one who prophesies does what? Builds up the church. Why? Because they all understand what's being said. But notice there's something inherent to speaking in tongues that personally builds you up. It personally encourages you. It personally edifies you. I want you to get this. And this is one of the reasons that it's so important to speak in tongues on a daily basis is because it has an aspect to it. According to the apostle Paul, who's inspired by the spirit, it has an aspect to it that does what it encourages you. It builds you up. It edifies you. It edifies you. Get that. So notice, notice what he's teaching and Patricia's putting this in the comments uh, a few verses later, the one who speaks in tongues should pray that he may interpret. When? In a church service. In a church service. If you've ever been in a church service and if you have uh, where uh, tongues and interpretation was given in a service, lift your hand in the comments. If you've ever been in a church service where someone stood up, gave a word to the body in tongues and either they or someone else that was there interpreted what was said in tongues in a known language. That's a gift of the spirit in operation, two gifts, tongues and interpretation of tongues. And that's what Paul is teaching here. If you're in a gathering of believers and somebody gives up and gives a word in tongues, he should pray that he may interpret. Somebody needs to interpret what's being said to the group, to the group. But notice, later when he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you, he does not say, I speak in tongues and interpret more than all of you. No, because he's talking about two different things. He's talking about when it's done in public in a a church service and when it's done in a private prayer time that he has with God. Why? Because as he taught at the beginning, when you speak in tongues, you are speaking unto God, not unto men. No man understands you. You're speaking mysteries in the spirit. So he didn't say, I speak in tongues and interpret more than all of you. He just said, I speak in tongues more than all of you. And you can speak in tongues when you're filled with the spirit at will. If you couldn't, why are we getting commands in the scripture to pray in the spirit? He commands them to do it. Same chapter. He said, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I'll pray with my mind also. Verse 15. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I'll sing with my mind also. What's he separating? Praying in the Holy Ghost versus praying in your known language. Praying in tongues versus praying in your known, in your known language. That's the, that's the differentiation he's making. And he said, so what will I do? I will pray in the Spirit and I'll pray in my known language. So that means Paul had the ability, and every Christian who's filled with the Holy Ghost has the ability to pray in the Spirit at will. It's not the same as when you give a word by the Spirit to a body of believers. It's not the same thing. There is the gift of the Spirit of speaking in tongues with interpretation, and there's the personal prayer language that every believer is given when they're baptized in the Holy Ghost. That's what Paul's talking about. And one of the things that happens, why we need to go so hard in this, is because it is actually a safeguard against discouragement It's a safeguard against losing your peace, your joy. When you pray in the Spirit, according to this passage here, you are building yourself up. Let me ask you the question, how many of you watching me, and even if you're watching a replay, you can put it in the comments, how many of you watching me have ever begun to pray in the Holy Spirit, and immediately, you begin to feel that encouragement rise up on the inside of you. It's like almost like a, a vigor. You almost feel like a, uh, it's stirring you up. It's, it's strengthening you. It's quickening you. How many have ever felt that before? Raise a hand in the comments if you've experienced that during praying in the Spirit. That's not some psychological trick. That is what God said takes place when you pray in the Spirit. It stirs you up, it edifies you, it encourages you in the Lord. There's no question about it. Paul taught it clearly, that when you pray in the Spirit, you are edifying or building up yourself, and that's one of the benefits that we have from praying in the Spirit. That's why every one of us need to spend more time praying in the Holy Ghost, praying in the Holy Ghost, taking that time to speak in tongues on that uh, you know, and I take it, as Paul said, more than all of you, take a, a, an abundance of time. You know what's an interesting thought? Because it comes out of your spirit, have you ever noticed this? Because it comes out of your spirit, your mind is not necessary to speak in tongues. Did you ever notice that? That you can be doing other things, you can be focused on other things, and still be praying in the spirit at the same time because your mind is not required to speak in tongues. Is that not interesting? Because I'm not praying with my understanding, as Paul said. Now, I can't be doing other things and pray in English because I'll be distracted. If I'm trying to come over here and you know read the Bible, I can read the Bible and pray in tongues at the same time and it does not stop my reading comprehension. It does not stop my ability to retain knowledge. And in fact, it inc- increases my ability to retain knowledge. Because the Holy Spirit is helping me and He's giving me a spirit of wisdom and revelation. It actually helps me, it doesn't harm me. It doesn't detract from my comprehension. It adds to. It's not, because speaking in tongues is not, doesn't require the natural mind. That's why Paul said, I will pray with my spirit and I'll pray with my understanding. If I pray in English, or if you pray in your known language that's different, maybe you speak Spanish, when you pray in your known language, it takes your understanding your mind. That's why I can't properly press in in prayer and read a book at the same time. I can't press in in prayer and be, you know be doing something else because it requires my mind, it requires my understanding to think about what am I going to say? What am I asking God for? All those types of things. You see, but praying in the spirit doesn't require your mind, it doesn't come out of your mind. It comes out of your spirit, man. It's so vital So important because God uh, anoints this type of prayer and he uses it to encourage his children and to build them up and to bring them into a place of um, momentum in the spirit, if you will. Not only does it do that, another thing that takes place when you pray in the spirit is that it builds up your most holy faith. Jude, there's only one chapter in Jude, but it's verse 20 said, but you beloved praying in the Holy ghost, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy ghost. It builds up your most holy faith. I always encourage people with this thought. It's not that it gives you more faith. It simply stirs up the faith you already have. Faith actually comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is acquired. More faith comes when we hear the Word of God preached or taught or we read the Word of God. That's how faith comes. So it's not that it gives you more faith, but it takes the faith that you already have and stirs it up, builds it up, gets it ready for action. I often tell uh, people, or use this analogy, praying in tongues is to your faith what stretching is to your muscles, Let me say that again. Praying in tongues is to your faith what stretching is to your muscles. Put that in the comments. Put it in your notes. Praying in tongues is to your faith what stretching is to your muscles. Stretching doesn't give you more muscles. Exercising them does. Lifting does. Straining them does. Stressing them does. But stretching gets them loose and warm and ready for action. You don't just show up to a track and field uh, meet with your street clothes on and just start running in the 300 meter. It It doesn't work like that. You gotta warm up. You gotta take time to stretch those muscles, get them ready for action. One of the quickest ways injury comes for athletes is by exerting their muscles without properly warming them up or stretching them. Can cause injury. So that's a necessary action to get your muscles ready to be used. And that's so much the same as praying in tongues gets your faith ready for action. If you've ever heard me tell the story of when I was in high school and went to the hospital to pray for my friend before I even had a driver's license, I had to have somebody drive me there. But my friend was in a coma, a very good friend of mine that I played sports with, and I was there. And when I got to the waiting room, there were so many students there from the school. I started to walk back and forth on the other side of the waiting room and pray in tongues. What was I doing? I was stirring up my faith, getting it ready for action. Because I was getting ready to go in there and pray for him. I was headed in to pray for him. And as I went in, before I went in, I just prayed in tongues, prayed in tongues, prayed in tongues. As I did, I could feel, it was like the anointing was taking hold of me, but more importantly, I could feel my faith rising for action. It's not that I didn't have faith. I had faith or I wouldn't have gone there to pray for him. But I was prepping myself. Prepping myself to do what? To take action with my faith. To pray the prayer of faith and see God raise my friend up. And I got to the place after praying in tongues, I couldn't stay. I couldn't stay in the waiting room anymore. And so I'm telling you, I just made a beeline for the ICU. And I really wasn't supposed to go back there because it was supposed to be immediate family only. But when I looked at that nurse and told, no, I'm going back, she could see something in my eyes, like, no, he's determined. She said, go ahead and go, you can go back. And I pushed through those doors and got back there to that room. Now, I think if my faith had not been ready and stirred up, it's not a faith builder to walk into a room where your friend's on a hospital table with a heart monitor beeping in a, uh, a level four coma. With a mother crying in the corner. Box of Kleenex being fully used up. It's not, a, it's not an area of faith. There's not a mass choir singing miracle songs. You know, you walk in and it's silent other than the heart monitor and the sniffling in the corner. And I walked in full of faith. Stirred up. And I laid hands on him. Prayed ask God to do a miracle. And when I was done praying, I walked out of there. I even told his mother, you can stop crying. It's done in Jesus name. Told her by faith, walked out of that hospital room, went home. The next day I get a call from the hospital after they had tried to tell the mother and and my friends, Oh no, he's at serious brain trauma. He'll have memory loss, motor skill damage, all these different things. I said, no, in Jesus' name. When I prayed, I said, Lord, I thank you. No memory loss, no motor skill damage, no lasting effects of any kind. When I got home the next day, I got a call when I woke up from one of my friends, and they said, you're never going to believe this, which is a stupid thing to say to a believer. Because that's what we do. We believe things. And I said to them, what? what is it? They said, he's out of the coma. He has no memory loss. He has no motor skill damage. In fact, the, there were nurses that had said As long as we've worked at this hospital, we have never seen a patient with severe brain damage, or excuse me, brain trauma, uh, recover this well and this fast. We've never seen it in the time we've worked at this hospital. That's the power of God at work. But see, if I was not prepared to go in and do the work, if I'd not stirred my faith up, gotten it ready for action by praying in the Holy Spirit, who knows? I may not have even had the boldness to walk in there and to begin to pray. I may not have even had the boldness. But see what happens when you begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. Boldness comes. It's it's an encouragement to you personally. It stirs your spirit up, but it also builds your faith up and gets it ready for action. And that's what I begin to do. Build myself up, build myself up, build myself up. By what? Praying in the Holy Ghost. Let me tell you, one of the things that blows my mind is that when you pray in the Holy Ghost, it actually, and I think Brother Glenn mentioned this in the comments, it aligns you with the Holy Spirit. Because remember this, the Holy Spirit is praying through you. You're not praying in your known language. You're not praying out of your mind. You're praying out of your spirit, which is united with the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit of God is praying through you, which which means this, And I think this is such a wonderful benefit of speaking in tongues. It means that you are perfectly praying the will of God. Think about that for a minute. When I pray in tongues, when you pray in tongues, I am perfectly praying the will of God. Say, how do you know? Because I'm not the one praying. The Spirit is praying through me. The Spirit is praying through me. The Holy Spirit, who I'm united with, and Christ. I'm united with Christ in baptism. I've been made one with Christ. The Holy Spirit lives in me and you. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. He dwells in us, makes his home in us. So as we pray, the Holy Spirit helps us. Let me read this to you. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. "'For we do not know what to pray for as we ought to, "'but the Spirit himself intercedes for us "'with groanings too deep for words. "'And he who searches hearts "'knows what is the mind of the Spirit "'because the Spirit intercedes for the saints "'according to the will of God.'" I don't always know what to pray for, but when I pray in the Holy Spirit, I pray the perfect will of God. Because I'm not the one praying. The Holy Spirit, now I'm doing the praying, but the Holy Spirit's praying through me. He's interceding. Look what the Bible says. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That's Romans 8, verses 26 and 27. I align myself with the Holy Spirit who is praying through me and he would never contradict God's will. He is the third person of the Trinity and he's perfectly enacting. The will of God on the earth As he prays through us It's amazing how we pray In the spirit pray for things we don't even know are happening We don't even know What's taking place But the Holy Spirit's praying Through us and for us I remember and I shared this story recently um, When Dr. Lester Sumrall was young And he was traveling around the world With Dr. Howard Carter He said they got to a place where they were really Attacked in their body uh, some kind of fever hit them. I don't know what it was. They were in the bush and some, something hit them. And, and it was really, it, it was dangerous. I mean, you're not by the hospital. You're out in the middle of nowhere in a third world nation. And they were laid up with this fever and, and on all this. It was terrible. And um, he said, all of a sudden, one of the days they were out there, all of a sudden, it, like, it lifted right off them. Gone. Absolutely gone. And they went on about their business, doing the work of the ministry. A couple of years later, Dr. Sumral was visiting some of his friends in the state, states staying at their house. And the husband and wife one afternoon said to him, "I don't know if you remember this, but do you know what was happening um, in your ministry or in your life on this day?" And gave, them a, gave him a specific date gave him a specific date. He said, let me go back and check. He kept a journal of all the times that he was you know, doing ministry. He said, let me go back into my journal and see what was happening. He goes back and finds out the reason that they said that to him. They said, we felt such a burden to pray for you on this date. They were in their prayer journal. We felt such a burden to pray for you. And we didn't know why. Of course, there were no cell phones. There was nobody sending emails. There was no way to contact each other from around the world like that. We didn't know why we felt such a burden to pray for you. He went back and checked. The same day they were crying out to God for him was the same days that those fevers had hit he and Dr. Carter overseas. Nobody knew that. Nobody knew what they were going through. Nobody, Nobody knew the attack of the devil that had come against them, but the Holy Spirit knows. And because the Holy Spirit knows, he can actually pray and use you to pray out the will of God on the earth, things you don't even know that, for example, as the Bible says here, we don't know how to pray as we ought to. There are things that are happening, even with the technology that we have, that we don't know are happening. There might be things that God uses us to pray for in the body of Christ for people we don't, we've don't, we never even met them. Maybe there's somebody in danger in a certain part of the world. We've never met them. We don't know them. We're not acquainted. But the Holy Spirit will use us to pray for that person as we pray in the Holy Spirit, praying the perfect will of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There was another time, if you've never gotten this book, you ought to get it. The book is entitled, and I've mentioned it on the broadcast, Before We Kill and Eat You. Before We Kill and Eat You. Um, And uh, it's a very, very interesting story about um, these missionaries who were overseas ministering in an area where there were cannibals. And um, John Garlock is the name of the author. John Garlock. And before we kill and eat you, he's overseas preaching. And they're captured by this cannibal tribe. A a cannibal tribe that was obviously planning to kill and eat them. And um, they couldn't speak their language, didn't know their language. And he said, well, let's just, let's all begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. And I believe what happened for them is the same thing that happened on the day of Pentecost, that same type of miracle where God allowed that tribe to hear what they were saying in tongues in their known language. And as they prayed, it's like they were preaching to that cannibal tribe who ended up releasing them, letting them go. It's a miracle. And then you hear the story. I'm, we're going to put the com- we're going to put the, uh, the link for the book in the, the comments for you guys. Um, but think about that. They prayed in the Spirit. We know what the Bible teaches praying in the spirit is. They prayed in the Spirit, but God allowed those cannibals to hear it in their known language and release them, spared their life. The Holy Spirit did it for them, prayed through them. They don't know what to say. They don't know how to pray. All they can do is pray in the Holy Ghost. And all of a sudden, God uses it. It's one of the greatest assets that we've been given as Christians, the power of the Holy Ghost and the ability to pray in tongues, the ability to pray in the Spirit. It's absolutely powerful. And it blows my mind, even those who are baptized in the Holy Ghost, filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, I'll be very honest with you. I know there's some people that think, well, that's only for certain people, or God sovereignly chooses who he will and who he will not uh, baptize in the Holy Ghost, give them the ability of speaking in tongues. I don't believe that. I don't believe that's in the Bible uh, at all. I know you're talking about gifts. Do all speak with tongues? People go to Corinthians. Do all speak with tongues? No. But it doesn't mean that all cannot have that ability. Not everyone does. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't want everyone to. Paul said it by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I wish that you would all speak in tongues. All of you, do you know you'll not find a place in the book of Acts where those who were seeking it, everyone was not filled? In fact, there was not even any choice. There was not even any uh, question from the apostles about interest in being filled with the Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, all 120 who responded to Jesus' command to gather in the upper room, wait in Jerusalem, all of them were filled with the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 8, when Philip preached in Samaria, And many, many, many were saved. Peter and John came from Jerusalem. When they got to Samaria, they didn't ask, hey, which of you new believers would like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? It's a wonderful experience. They just laid hands on every new believer, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. In Acts 10, when Peter went to Cornelius' house to preach the gospel to the Gentiles for the first time, as they heard him preach, every single person in the household, all of them, We're filled with the Holy Ghost, begin to speak with other tongues and prophesy. When Paul went to Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, met those 12 men and said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, we've not even heard there is such a thing as the Holy Ghost. He tells them about Christ, baptizes them in the name of Jesus. And then Paul, without any, you know, there was no interest meeting. How many of you would like to be? No, he laid his hands on all 12 men and every one of them, spoke with other tongues and prophesied. There's never a picture of people in in, in group settings, not all receiving and not all being prayed for to receive. There's not a picture of that. God's desire, and you can see that clearly from Acts 8, Peter and John, those apostles came from Jerusalem with the express intent, oh, we've got new believers in Samaria, next order of business. They all need to be filled with the Holy Ghost, all of them. So they came and laid hands on all of them, and all of them received it. All of them received it. It is God's desire for every believer to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and to speak with other tongues. No question about that. We see it in narrative, we see it in Paul's teaching. Just because he asks the question Do all speak with tongues? Do all work miracles? There's another question Do all work miracles? No, not everybody does work miracles. But does that mean that not everybody can work miracles? No. Jesus said to the disciples, which is is a word that he gave to the church, because it wasn't just the, uh, the 12 apostles. There were many doing this work. The works that I do, you will do also. And greater works than these, why? Because I'm going to be with my Father. Which means, he was telling them, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, what do you receive? You shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. So, do all work miracles? No. I'm sure there's Christians watching me right now on this broadcast that you believe in miracles. You may have even seen miracles, but you yourself have never worked a miracle. You've never laid your hands on somebody and have seen them get healed. You've never you know, had any of those types of things happen. Okay. Well, that doesn't mean you're not able to see miracles. It just means that not everybody has worked miracles. Do all work miracles? No, not everybody does. But it doesn't mean they can't. Do all speak with tongues? No, not everybody does. But it doesn't mean they can't. And it doesn't mean it's not God's desire. Do Do you honestly think it's not God's desire for every Christian to work miracles? These signs shall follow them that believe. They shall lay their hands on the sick and they shall recover. That's a sign that comes from being a believer. You think it's not God's desire? Of course it is. So just because the Bible says do all work miracles and the inferred answer is no... Do all speak with tongues? And for an answer, no, doesn't mean that not all can't. It just means they don't. It just means they don't. Anything you read from Christ, anything you read from the apostles, they were teaching believers, teaching believers to do the works of Christ. That's what discipleship is. That's exactly what it is. And one of the things that we need to pursue, that's why Paul taught so strong. Covet. The gifts of the Spirit. Go after. In fact, that's how, isn't that how we just read 1 Corinthians started, verse 14? What did he say? Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Why would I earnestly desire spiritual gifts if there's no way that I could ever receive them? That's stupid. Why would I be commanded by the apostle to earnestly desire spiritual gifts if there's no way for me to receive them? There, and there is every believer has the ability and and, and the potential to operate in the gifts of the spirit. No question about that. Why? Because they're the gifts of the Holy spirit. You don't have the gifts. You have the spirit. Oh man, that's good for somebody to write down. Put it in the comments. I don't have the gifts. I have the spirit. He's the giver of the gifts. You don't go to somebody and say, now, do you have working of miracles? No, I don't have working of miracles. I have the Holy Spirit who is the worker of miracles. Do you, uh, let me ask you a question. Do you have the word of wisdom? No, I don't have the word of wisdom. I have the Holy Spirit who lets me in on a word of wisdom. It says the spirit wills. I have the giver of the gifts, which means I have access to all nine gifts. Amen. And praying in tongues is so vital, it moves the hand of God. It moves the hand of God over your life. It moves the hand of God in your faith, in your encouragement, your joy, your peace. And it moves the hand of God on the earth, get this, for things you didn't even know to pray for, but he knew and he knows. He knows. He knows what needs to be prayed for and he'll use you and he'll use me to pray for those things. Powerful. It's absolutely powerful. Can I give you a challenge today? I want to give you a challenge, as we're getting ready to come back at 12 noon and pray again at at noon. I want to give you a challenge to spend the other 30 minutes today, and as you're doing it, praying in tongues. Pray in the Spirit. We're gonna pray with understanding in, in, in just a little bit, but pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Stir up your gift. Stir up your faith. Stir yourself up. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Watch what happens. You know, Smith Wigglesworth said, if you'll wake up every morning and pray in the Holy Ghost till you feel the anointing come upon your body, you'll never backslide. Praise God. Your prayer carries power. The prayer of a righteous person has much power as it's working. Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you will and it shall, not might, it shall be done for you. Glory to God. Shall be done for you for you. This whole week I'm covering these nine types of prayer that move God's hand. They move God's hand. Don't miss one of these sessions. It's going to, it's going to not only open your eyes, but it'll show you how to pray to get answers to your prayers. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.